and you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. If, um, if you want to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, um, today we start a brand new series called Simple Gospel. And this is just something that the Lord has been stirring in my heart, and it was actually funny. How many of you know sometimes the Lord confirms things in a very strange way? Are you alive? Because I'm ready to preach, so it's preaching time. Sometimes the Lord will be speaking something to me, and I'll ask the Lord for confirmation, and that confirmation will come in the strangest way via this way this week. The Lord had been speaking to me about the simple gospel, that sometimes we overcomplicate the gospel message, we overcomplicate church, we overcomplicate, here's what I feel, that we create barriers for people to experience Jesus when Jesus already broke down all the barriers. So I, I, I'm, I'm wrestling through this. What does that look like for us as a church? What does it mean for us? And so then I, I scroll through Facebook and I'm looking. Is, is it cool I talk about this, Jesse, about the Facebook thing? He's good. I know he's good with it. So I'm scrolling through Facebook and Jesse Berkey posted something that was posted by somebody else, which just frankly didn't agree with his view of God. That's okay, right? Like we don't all have to agree. We can agree to disagree. It's okay to have an opinion. But what, what really caught me off guard is this, this thread had like 150,000 comments, it feels like, with people who disagreed with somebody's point of view. And, and here's the point. We have so many people in the world, the, the image that was being painted by this one person was this, this image of this God who's angry. And that we as Christians were worthless. We have no worth. So we come groveling to God saying, please, and how many of you know that that doesn't necessarily agree with, with how I see myself and how God sees me? The ultimate view of the gospel is that we would see ourselves the way that God sees us. Not that we would push ourselves to such a low place that we would have to come begging because God already paid for us to be sons and daughters. It's already been done on the cross. So, so the goal now is not to see ourselves as little as possible, but to see as much of ourselves, of him in, in us as we can. So, so it sparked this thing where I was thinking there are so many people in the world that they have this image of God and how they are to respond to God and what the church should be and what it should not be. And I just wish sometimes, can I just be honest, that the gospel would just be made simple. That we would be able to come to a church and just experience God in a real way. And that we would understand what it would look like to be, to be sons and daughters. Not to be people, how many of you know, hey, hear me today. The church is you. Like, God's plan for this thing that we call church is not for us to be build buildings and put up by church. You are the church. The church is mobile. It's alive. The only way, the only way this gospel stays alive is if you take it with you. Is if something happens in your heart where you say, this thing that I have received or that you will receive has changed my life in such a way that I have to tell someone. So I want to read the scripture today. And I know we read this scripture a lot for marriage, counseling, and relationships, but I believe there's something supernatural regarding the church here. So Ephesians 5, he's talking about being children of light, but I want to drop down to verse 22, so stay with me. Verse 22 says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of, of the house. As Sorry. For the husband is the head of the wife, is the head of the house, as the wife is the head of the church. This is the body. Whoa, hold on. I'm going to get this right. This is wrong. Where's my Bible? Give me a Bible. That's wrong. Yes. It didn't settle right in my spirit. 
Thank you, Internet. Verse 22, let's try that again. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. There it goes. He is the Savior of, he is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands. I know you're like, I don't want to hear this, but listen. For husbands, this means love your wife just as Christ loves the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of the word. So look, look from the very beginning, Paul's establishing that you have been washed you have been made clean by what Christ has done. This is, how, this is the starting point for Christianity. That when you say yes to Jesus, he has washed you. He has cleansed you. So yeah, you may have made mistakes. Yeah, you may have felt far from God. Yeah, you may have, have had all kinds of dysfunctions. But the moment you said yes to him, because he died on the cross, you are now made clean and spotless. It's good news. He did this to present herself to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or other blemish. Instead, she will be a holy without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Watch. So no one hates his body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. Say, I'm a member of his body. Verse 31, as the scripture says, and man leaves his father and joins with his wife. The two are united into one. Verse 32, watch this. Verse 32 says, this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and his church are one. So I read this scripture, and a lot of times we use this for marriage and all kinds of stuff, but Paul's trying to paint a picture here. And the picture he's trying to, to, to paint for you is, he's looking for, for language, right? And I've been studying what it would look like. The Bible calls us all kinds of things. There are different metaphors. He says we are living stones with, by which God is trying to build a house for his presence to dwell. But one of the things that strikes me interesting, uh, something that God calls us as a corporate body is the bride. If you read the Bible, he calls us the bride of Christ. And I have to ask myself, I know for guys, you're like, that's weird, bro. I don't know. Like, I don't know how I feel about that. But, but it's what he calls us. He says we are the bride of Christ and he's calling us. Not just the bride that would come and feel unpure and feel, and feel all kinds of emotions, but a pure, spotless bride without blemish. And here's the good news. This has nothing to do with you. Like I know we would read this and we would go, well, I don't identify with that because I got issues and I got problems and I make mistakes. The good news is it's because of what he did. It is because of what was done, what we talked about last week, because he stood on a cross. Now we get to enter into this relationship. So, yeah, it says, wives, submit to your husbands. But, but, but he's also talking to us to come into submission to what he's called us to. And I know we hear, we hear the word submission and we're like, oh, gross. But listen, submission is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing when the person you're following is based in love. To submit to God means to come under, to sub, to come under his mission. What is his mission? To seek and save that which was lost. It makes our, this is what I'm talking about. The simple gospel is that you would come into this place where you realize you are united with him. You are made one. There is no separation. I love that we talk about it at this church. Your job at this church is not to find how to reconcile yourself back to God. He's done that. Your job is to learn to, to, to start from this place of connection. 
that I'm not striving to try to connect the dots or make myself more appealing, but that I would realize from the very beginning, he said, I chose you. That's what the Bible says. Before you chose me, I chose you and I appointed you. Oh, it's so good. And so Paul's painting this imagery of, for us at the church. And it's funny, right, because we, we live in this culture now where it's very common for people to say, yeah, bro, I know Jesus. I know Jesus and I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. Hey, listen. I've been, me and my wife have been together for a long time now, and, and I love her. She's my ride or die. We do everything together, ministry, all of it together. Now, how many of you know it would be strange if you came up to me and you said, hey, Gio, I love you, bro. I love you. You're awesome. I'm with you. But I just don't like destiny. <laughs> how, many, how many of you know we, from the very get-go we would just have problems? Because to say you love one and hate the other means you hate both. Because according to the Bible, we have been made one. Oh. And so God is calling us back to this place where we stop. We stop. Listen, it's easy to look at the bride or to look at the church. Let's, let, they're interchangeable at this point. We are the bride of Christ. Say, I am the bride. It would be easy for us to look at the church and to, to nitpick. They don't do this right. They don't do that right. They don't do this right. But the truth is we're come we are called to come together and to help create a place. What is the purpose of church? At the very basis, what is the purpose of church? Let's simplify this. The church is threefold. From the very beginning, there are three purposes for why we gather. The first and the most important is we are called to minister to God. The Lord reminded me of that today as I was sitting in prayer. He goes, gee, are you here for them or are you here for me? You say, well, you're the pastor of the church. I get it, but if I'm not connected to him, I have nothing to give you. And so our job, as this is not the pastor's job, this is your job. This is everyone, if you're sitting and you love the Lord, your job is to come into this place and to exalt him, to lift him high. That's why David said, oh, magnify the Lord and praise his holy name. He was onto something because he knows when I magnify him and when I praise him, something begins to change. No matter what the circumstance is, no matter what the struggle is, no matter what my family is going through, it's what we sang it today. Something always changes when I praise your name. It's more than good. It's more than a good phrase. It's good theology. Yeah. It's something that we could base ourselves in because I know that God is good. I come into this place and my first job is to minister to him, to prepare a table and say, God, I'm just here to sit with you. I just want to commune. What do you want today? That's why we don't tell people how to worship. Because the Lord could be telling me to sit, to, sh to stand, to shout, and to jump. But he could be telling Stephen, you need to sit. You need to be still. And part of, part of the problem we have today is we've created robots. And we tell you, this is how you should worship. This is when you should say amen. This is when you should sh shout. But the Lord is looking for people that would be, they would be, have a gentle, gentle enough to lean in and say, God, how do you want to be worshiped today? It's simple. And, and here's the truth. It's freeing because your worship doesn't have to look like my worship. Your prayer doesn't have to look like my prayer. And so the first thing we're called to as a church is to worship him. But then we're also called to, worship, to, to minister to the body. It's always amazing to me. Last week I was, I, I, we had two services and I preached multiple messages. And I was walking out of my house and, and we have like a thing right here where, what do you call it? It's a cabinet. <laughs> And on the cabinet, there's a loaf of bread. And I knew what I was preaching that morning. Like, I knew, actually, I bought the bread for my wife. 
And when she saw the loaf of bread, she's like, I'm never going to eat that. That's disgusting. That's why I don't go shopping at Publix because I never pick anything right. So I'm looking at the loaf of bread, and something says, grab that loaf of bread. And I'm like, that's so weird. I got all my daughter's stuff. We got two young kids, and I'm walking with the loaf of bread. I have no idea what the loaf of bread is for. I get to church service. Stephen goes, you got bread. What's the bread for? I go, I don't know, Stephen. It's on the front row now. I have no idea. It's just a freaking loaf. I don't know if the Lord just wants me to know if I'm obedient. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Because my job is just to say yes. If the only thing he wanted was to see if I'd bring the loaf of bread to church, it would be enough for me. I get done preaching first service. And second service, the Lord said, okay, it's time for the bread now. And I was like, oh, man. So I get up first service and I begin to preach on the breaking of the bread, the blessing, and all of the stuff. But this is what struck me, man. There were people who went to first service that needed a message. And there were different people in the second service that needed a different message. So after service... Some, some ladies come up to me and they're weeping and they're saying, you don't know how much I needed to hear that because as the body of Christ, we're called to minister. We're called to preach the gospel and that's every one of you. To preach means to proclaim. So I would ask you today, what is your life proclaiming? How many of you know your life can proclaim something without even saying words? Sometimes the most powerful things you say don't even come out of your mouth. And so as we proclaim the word, we're called to come in, and the Bible says that you, 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 say me, you are a living epistle, meaning that your life is a God's story. How you follow him, how you walk with him, how you talk with him, it is a proclamation of something, and our prayer for you today is that it would be a proclamation of his goodness. This is the simple gospel, that we would come in, we would worship God, and as we worship him, that we would minister to people, and then... The third thing is we would minister unto the world. It's what we were talking about, that what happens in here would have to be taken out there. That in your job, in your home, in your school, in every way that you, that you would come across people, that you would radiate Jesus. It is the goal. That we would not, yesterday we were taking communion, and I was, it was, we took communion to the streets, and you never know what's going to happen. You got some guys dipping the bread, they're doing the whole Catholic thing, and you got all kinds of different things going on. And we're just... We're just giving people the opportunity to partake of his body. The opportunity to step into something. The people already know us there. We're not just showing up, setting table. We've built rapport with these people. We've served them. And so finally, we felt like it was time to, to go a little deeper. And so one of the guys walks up. I don't know if I've ever seen him before. Stephen gets up and he reads a scripture about partaking of the bread, the breaking of the bread, and his body broken. And he goes, if any of you here want to take communion, I want you to come forward now. And so a few people came up, but one of the guys came up, and so they took the bread and they broke it, and they would tell the gentleman, the body of Christ broken for you. The blood of Christ poured out for you, because that's what happened, right? They need to know what, what was paid for them, because that's important. And so the guy's just looking at you, right? He's just staring, and then Stephen goes, do you know the Lord? He said, yeah, I know the Lord, but I know nothing about the Bible. And it struck me. That there was something in the atmosphere that would say, I don't understand that, but I want it. <laughs> I'm serious. I don't understand what's going on. And there was all kinds of chaos. Some people were leaving because, listen, when you open up the gospel and you talk about the blood of Jesus, demons flee. I'm serious. And so some people were leaving, but there was something that was drawing. What was it? The proclamation of his goodness. You may not understand it. You may not get it, but you better know he broke his body so you can be whole. He poured out his blood so that you can live free from all sin. That is the good news. Like, that's why I get confused. That's why I was so confused by that post, because if we're called to preach the good news. 
And the good news has way more to do about him than it has to do about us. It has to do with his body that was broken, his blood that was poured out. And so back to this, to this idea of the bride, he has called us as a church to come, and there are just things that come along with this. And we would look at this and we would say, listen, when I entered into a relationship with my wife, as my wife, things changed. It wasn't games anymore, right? It was like we weren't just talking about theory. We had made a decision that we were going we to do life together, and that meant something. A lot of times we talk about come, going into, into a relationship with Christ, but the truth is when we say yes, we enter into covenant with him. <laughs> covenant is much more than just saying something. It's, 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 a, it's an agreement that cannot be broken. Like when I said yes to my wife, it means for the rest of my life I would say no to everyone else. It's not in the midst of options I'm going to have you and everyone else, and it's no different with God. When you say yes to God, it is saying yes wholeheartedly. That's why I said, seek the Lord God with all of your mind, all of your soul, not some of your spirit, <laughs> all of your spirit. And so uh, can I just share a couple of things that are really important about this? There are a couple of things I feel are really important pertaining to you and the bride. And the first thing is this. When you enter into a covenant relationship with God as you are called the bride and he is a groom, the first thing that you step into is intimacy. I'm serious. Now, this would be weird. This is the part where the guy's like, I don't want to hear about this, bro. Intimacy, this weird. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. But listen, that's only because we don't understand the power of a metaphor. God, he was looking for language to explain to you the, the, the power of the bond between you and him. And so this intimacy thing is more than, we equate intimacy to sex, right? Culture has done that. That's the immediate word that would come to mind. But intimacy is much more than that. Intimacy is trust. The moment that I knew that I entered into covenant with my wife was, was, was the moment I began to share with her things inside of me that I had not shared with anyone else. <laughs> it was the things that I would not sit around the table and just say, this is who I am. These are my struggles. It was the moment where I began to share things that were so vulnerable that in my spirit, I, I didn't know. I was like, I don't know if I share this with her, but it's going to freak her out. Like, is she going to run and never come back again? Because intimacy, intimacy is information. And what the Lord, how many of you know when we date, it's a different ballgame? Like some people, they come to church and they're still in that dating relationship. But when you enter into covenant, it's different. We date the projected self. You've seen it. You see the people like, I love you. I love you too. You like pizza? I like pizza. Like you know the difference. When me and my wife were dating, it was like we were eating. I'm like, you want this last bite? It was the best, like, you, do you want this? Now it's like, you chose your food. I chose my food. <laughs> it's different. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, like, now it's like, click. And it's not rude. It's just a different level of relationship. And I feel like what the Lord is saying to you is when you move into marriage, into that kind of relationship, into the simplicity of the gospel, he does not want to date or be with the projected you. He wants to know the real you. Like, what if the Lord is saying to you today, I want to know you in a real way. Like, in a real way. Not the person you want to be or you think you should be or your dad thinks you should be, but, but who you really are. Like, what's really going on inside of your heart? Like, I don't know why, why we've shut down as a culture to emotion. 
Like we're so quick to just bottle it down. But what the Lord is saying today, I feel like as my bride, will you open yourself up to feel? Like I don't ever, this is a legitimate fear for me. Can I just be honest? I've been doing church for a long time now, man. I got saved in 2008. And when I gave my life to Jesus from drug addiction, I was all in. Never looked back. And so there was a point where I would go to church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Me, Anthony, Covington, all of us, every single day at church. Young, young adults, youth, middle school, all of it, little kids. It was all everywhere. And one of the things that I know can happen in the midst of doing and doing and doing and doing is you forget how to be. Like everything becomes common, even going out to the streets, right? This is like our eighth time. Everything becomes common. We know they're going to come. We know how to cook the eggs. We know how to make the bacon. We know who's going to say hi. It's common conversation. And my fear would be that we would become so programmed in living out our faith that we forget to live in awe. Like think about this. You think about this. When was the last time you had a moment with God where you were like, Like we serve the God of awe and wonder and splendor and majesty. This is the God that it's talking about in the Bible. Yet we live this life where it's like, ah, I'll spend 15 minutes and I'm not getting on, man. If you got 15 minutes, spend them. This is no condemnation. But what I'm saying is there's more. This is what intimacy is about. It's this naked trust where you just, you just abandon all, all sense of self. And you just say, God, I just want what you have for me. Are you alive? To be the bride of Christ, to enter into intimacy with him. Where he is yours, oh, he is yours and you are his. And nothing else matters. I know you got, I know you have a job. I know you got bills to pay. I know you got family. But here's what I'm saying. All of those things would be much better if you were to root yourself in love with him. If you were to allow yourself to open up and to fully engage your heart because that's what he's after. He's not after your list of do's or don'ts. He can care less about your church checklist. What he's looking at is how is your heart? What's going on in here? So he's calling us to intimacy. But one of the benefits also of being, of being in the bride and being in relationship with him is protection. There are so many times where I'm just convinced. And if you were to take inventory of your life, the protection of the Lord where he would walk with you. I remember when I was, man, the first time I came to Jesus, my life was upside down. Like I was living legitimately in a trap house and there were all of these drugs. They had, they had, they had a kid in the attic that they had kidnapped. It was just, it was chaos. And I found myself in this place at 17 years old where I was like, what am I doing here? Like how did I let myself get this far? And so then this, this, my grandma calls me, and I, I just have to share this story with you because it shows how the Lord, he protects us. My grandma calls me, and she's like, hey, uh, we're going to go have, have some dinner at Wings and Things. Would you like that? Yes, ma'am, I would. Wings and Things was, whoo. Those people can make some dang wings. So I take my shower, put in my visor, and I'm like trying to do everything to be like a normal human. I drive my truck, and they didn't know where I lived. I drive the wing thing, things in a popka. I have dinner with them. Do not remember any of it. And I get back to my house after dinner. All right, see you guys later. And I was not in a good place. And I get to the house, and now my grandma's calling me. And this woman is persistent. She says, 
when you left dinner, we, we, called, we followed you. I didn't even know they had followed me to where I was living. And she goes, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to go down. Either you're going to come or the police are going to take you out because we're not going to let this happen to you. And I was mad. I knew if the police were to come into that house, it would be issues for everyone. <laughs> so what did I do? I packed up my little suitcase. I go to my grandma's house. I'm upset. Oh, I hate you. I'm so upset. How dare you? And so all of a sudden, I get a phone call from this guy. His name's Robert Maisonave. And somehow he had heard about all the stuff that I was in. He calls me. He goes, hey, I, I don't know what's going on. But listen, we have a men's encounter this weekend at our church. Would you want to come? I'm like, anything would be better than being at Abuela's house right now. Anything would be better. So I said, yeah, I'll go. And I remember going to, to that encounter, and that was legitimately the first weekend I had ever experienced God. And that would have been, that would have been enough, right? That would, have been, that would have been an amazing story. But, but when I got back, I had turned off my phone. I get back into town, and I start getting calls. Hey, where you at? Did you hear what happened? The weekend, the weekend that I was on the men's encounter, that same weekend, the police had busted into the house, broken in the front door, and taken everybody to jail. And I thought to myself, where would I be without the protection of the Lord? Listen, I'm not a fighter. We were talking the other day. Sometimes, sometimes those guys were like, man, I, I would knock him out. I haven't fought in like 15 years. I'd get knocked out. I know it. I was never really a fighter. Listen, it's not that I'm a coward. I just got hit in the face once or twice and it hurts. I just don't like it. Like, I don't like it. It's not fun. It's not fun. But, but something changes, right? Like, if you're going to mess with me, I was in the gas station the other day. I got angry. My wife's like, I thought you were going to pray for him. I'm like, no, babe. I thought I was going to, I need to repent. And it got to a point at that gas station, I was like, you know what? I don't want this problem, but, but I'm going to tell you something. If somebody were to mess with my wife, different story. Everybody got quiet. Listen, I'm not angry. I'm just saying. Because when you mess with my bride, everything changes. And I feel like you need to know that today. That as you walk with the Lord, we said this last week, the promise of God is that no weapon formed against you will prosper. It's not that no weapons should form. Some of you are looking at these weapons and these things the enemy's throwing at you and you're panicking. You need to know you are under his protection. It's, it's biblical. When Job, look at the book of Job. When the devil came to accuse Job, he said, I could not touch him for you have put a, a hedge of protection around him. The devil could not touch him. So you need to know as you walk with the Lord that he, he walks with you. He goes before you, behind you. And yeah, things may be rough right now, but it's, it's not the end of the story. Say amen. Amen, amen means so let it be. <laughs> it's not the end of the story. And so the Lord has provided you with a place of intimacy. He's provided you with protection. And the last thing I want to say to you is he has provided you with rights. According to Ephesians 5, where he's preaching the gospel, you and Christ, the church, have now become one. Now, how many of you know the moment that I said yes, when I stood at that pulpit with my wife, and he said, do you take her to be your lawfully wedded wife? And I said, yes, she became Mrs. Munoz. And the moment she became Mrs. Munoz, everything that's mine became hers. Like, it wasn't like we could have separate bank accounts anymore. There was no my money and your money. It's her money now. I don't even have money anymore. I love that. So true. We're just honest people. 
And so hear me today. The reason that Christ has called you his bride is not to lord over you and say you must submit. He has given his life so that you can live with the rights. Oh, man. So you can live with rights. That is why we preach a gospel that says that you don't have to live with sickness because he bore it. That's why we don't believe that you have to believe that you are a piece of garbage because he says about you that you have been made the righteousness of God. He says that about you. And so at this point, it's not about whether it's true or untrue. It's about are you willing to believe you are what God says about you? That's the biggest struggle. Like, are you willing to submit yourself to a place where you allow God to love you? Because that's what this is. For God so loved the world. It wasn't for God so condemned the world or for God so hated the world. For God so loved the world that he gave so that... So this relationship, it comes with rights. And so that means, hear me today, when the devil comes your way and he tries to violate you, you need to stand within your rights. Nobody can come to my home and say, get out. It's my home. I have rights. I pay the rent. And just like you, some of us, we're so, we're so moved by what the enemy says and what he throws our ways. Sometimes I feel like we just need to stand firm and say, I have rights. I have rights. And those rights, they allow you to change the way you view things. Can I give you one more story? I went out to a restaurant with my dad. I, I may have shared this before. And me and my dad, we, ha we have an interesting relationship. And we went out to dinner one night. And, and when we went out to dinner, um, I, we didn't have a lot of money. Like, we just didn't. My dad likes to go to, like, fancy restaurants. And I was like, I'll just go anywhere because I just want to be in the presence of my dad. And so I, we went to the restaurant. And how many of you know, because of my resources, the way I viewed the menu was limited. Like, when, when I went to the restaurant, I knew there were sections of the menu that were just off limits. Like, I can't have that. I can't have that because... Like, they're going to run my card. It's just not going to work. And so we're eating this meal, and we're talking, and I'm thinking, like, yo, I'm, like, appetizer status right now. I'm going to have to get an appetizer. It is what it is. And then we hit a point in the conversation where my dad looks at me. He goes, hey, listen, I got the bill. Now, once my dad said, I got the bill, everything changed about the menu. Like, there were parts of the menu that I did not have access to, but because now my dad said, no, 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 I got it. Now I'm looking for the porterhouse. I'm like, what? Like, now I have options. There's appetizer, maybe dessert. And it's not, it's not ugly, right? Because it, it was his pleasure to give to me because he loves me. And I feel like today, if, if I were to say anything I, from this message on, the simple gospel is about being the bride. It was that you would change the way you viewed the menu. Like some of us, we have some limit, such a limited perspective. Like I have to live poor and, I'm, and if I'm sick, God is punishing me. Limited view of the menu. But that we would look at what this relationship really means. As we step into intimacy and as we allow, our, allow his protection to, to, to take things out of our lives, how many of you know a, tr a true parent, sometimes he has to take things away from his kids because it's not good for them? 
Like, how irresponsible would it be for me if, if, I let, if I let Judah just play with something that could hurt him? It would make me a terrible parent. And so some of us were like, God, I'm so, I don't want, and he's taking it away. Those relationships, those false ideas, the insecurities, he's taking them away because it's what's best for you. It's called protection. <laughs> and as he takes those things away, you begin to look at the menu and you're like, oh, man. I changed the way I see that now because I'm not some filthy, dirty rags. <laughs> but the Lord has made me into a son. And that means something. So I no longer have to live my life in the appetizer menu of this book. It's what Paul was talking about. He said, some of you are still living on milk. And I'm trying to give you meat. He's talking about food. Some of us, we're living our lives in this limited view of the gospel when daddy, when our God is saying, come and I want you to see all of it. Make yourself available and allow me to transform. Romans 12, be renewed, the renewal of the mind by transforming the way that you think. That's how transformation happens. You begin to view things differently and you change the way you see the menu. I want to share Last, last night I was reading something. It was interesting. I had this, I've been asking the Lord about the church, right? And, and I, had this, I had this dream, very weird. I was reading, actually, this portion of scripture about Zacchaeus and how Zacchaeus was walking along his way and he had all kinds of issues going on. And he hears about Jesus coming along the way. And there's an issue that takes place. He, he can't see Jesus because he's short. He's limited. There's limitations on his life which do not allow him to, to see Jesus. And then all of a sudden I had this image of, of him climbing up the tree. And you know the story. He climbs up the tree and he sees Jesus and Jesus meets him and he, he, he eats at his house. And this transformation happens. And I feel like as a church it is our job. Listen, it is our job to be the sycamore tree. So many times we come in and it's like, God, what can I get and what can I get? That's good for a season. But sometimes God has called you here for somebody to climb on you to see God in a way he couldn't see before. There are people with limitations. They come into church every week and they can't see God the way you see him. They have all kinds of struggles and all kinds of things that, that, that are in the way. There are barriers. And instead of looking at them and saying, would you just get it together? Why can't you just... I wish we would plan ourselves, we would root ourselves. And we would say, until you can see rightly, you can stand on my shoulders. You become the sycamore tree. You become the person that God uses so that they can view Jesus rightly. And that's what it looks like to become the bride. To give yourself to him. Knowing that you are spotless, you are blameless, and you are without blemish. I want to pray for you today.